what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films, film reviews and discussion from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. Do you enjoy seeing interesting movies that you may not see anywhere else? Taking part in discussions about those films and live in Western North Carolina? Then you need to come be a part of the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am your co-host, Alan Jackson, with me, other co-host. Hello, I'm Chris Fry. Yes, and we're both with the Foot Candle Film Society and now with Foot Candle Films as a podcast. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Good. Doing good. I, I, hope, uh, I hope you're wide awake because we've got a fun show today. I've got <laughs> some, uh, some, we've got some fun stuff we're going to talk about. So, and some very deep conversations to get into as well as we mm-hmm. go into our featured review. Uh, the featured review for today is going to be The Tree of Life, and we'll follow that up with some news. And then we'll talk about our recommendations for films, kind of following that same format we've been doing the last couple episodes as well. So we're here to our third third episode. I think uh, doing pretty well with this thing so far and uh, getting some good feedback. So we appreciate all the listeners and everybody who has some nice things to say about what we're doing. So let's go ahead and get started. We're talking about the first, the, our film review, our first part of the show, and it is The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. There are two ways through life. The way of nature in the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. So, Chris, the tree of life. Let me give a little background last night, because, of course, we just screened this last night at our film society. Right. So it's fresh on our brains, uh, but I do have to relay a story. I shared this last night as well, but uh, to me, this this really helps set the tone for what this conversation is <laughs> going to be like. I'm sitting in the back of this theater, the beautiful downtown Hickory, Carolina theater, back in the back of the theater during this film. It's a two hour and 20 minute film. You need to go and get that on the record. It's a, it's a long film. Sure. We had a packed house. We had a very, very good crowd, probably 240, 250, somewhere in there showing up for this film. As I'm in the back of the theater, the credits are rolling, and people are starting to file out, some of them some of them leaving during the credits, and a mother and a child walk out. And of course, I see that it's a child, probably 11, 12-year-old child. Wow. Yeah, which I kind of said the same thing in my own head, wow, <laughs> that, that they were here for this film. And as the kid walked by, he wasn't saying a word, but the only noise he made as he passed by me was this loud exhale, like... <laughs> and to me, that is, that is a, that is where I want to toss it over to you. If you, <laughs> if you could talk to this 12 year old kid and understand where he was coming from with this, you know, was his Excel exhale warranted at this point? Or did you, do you want to kind of tell him, Hey kid, just wait 20 years and you can really appreciate this film. Where, where do you stand on this? What? Was it the loud exhale at the end? Like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just got through that. Or, is it, you know what, kid, in about 20 years and you mature, you're really going to appreciate well, this film. It's, it's both. I mean, for a 12-year-old to sit through that, yeah, he deserves to be able to go, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think he's really going to thank his mom 
And, you know, another 10 years or so when he realizes that, hey, I saw the Tree of Life in the theater. It was very experimental. It was a monumental film. It was a big deal. And, yeah, he'll appreciate it later. But the fact that he got to see it, I mean, kind of cool. But, yeah, is a 12-year-old going to appreciate that? No way. But, you know, kudos to the mom for taking him in, you know. Well, well, let me give it just a little quick plot synopsis for what there is of plot. And and then I want to hear your thoughts on it, and I'll share mine as well. Uh, this is Terrence Malick's film. This is you know, Terrence Malick is is not a terribly prolific director. He's made maybe seven films, six or seven films, something like that. And they're fairly spaced out film wise. He doesn't knock out a film every one or two years like a lot of directors do. Uh, Badlands, uh, Days of Heaven, right. uh, uh, The New World, mm-hmm. uh, some a Thin Red Line, Thin Red Line. And some of his uh, films that you may recognize. This is a film that covers a family i guess is the best way to, to describe it it it, mm-hmm. it centers around a family although it's a much broader movie than just about this family right father mother their three sons and we're basically following the oldest son as both modern day and his memories memories recollection back to uh back to his youth that's the simplest way to describe this film yeah but it's obviously a lot deeper than that there's a lot having to do with uh, the birth of the universe. There has a lot to do with the evolution of the universe. There has a lot to do with right. uh, relationships and people and families and connectivity of life. Lots it's of just shots a, of the ocean. Yeah, a lot of shots <laughs> of the ocean. It's a very broad movie, sure. and it's also very um, impressionistic in that it's it's much more almost like watching an art gallery exhibit, a moving art gallery, than it is necessarily watching a traditional film. So that's a summary. What did what did you take away? Did you uh, did you think it worked? It's one of those films for me that it worked. I liked it, but as I watched it last night, and you know, here I am, twelve hours later, and it's it's just getting better. Even though I haven't mm. seen it again, <laughs> but um, it's just, just reliving it in your it's head. Just, just think. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Wow. Um, but it's 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 challenging. It is a challenging film. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's told non-linearly, mm-hmm. and um, and Okay, that can be confusing, but then add in a totally, I guess you could say, non sequitur side plot, but in a way it does kind of the whole creation of the universe thing. Yeah. You get all this like, you know, crazy footage that looks like it was taken from 2001. Um, but it does have to do with the movie, but yet it doesn't. It's this whole separate thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> um, but that said, and this like, why you need time to digest it mm-hmm. and why I've, I've had a little bit of time to digest it. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. And it's, it is a film. It's not a movie, you know, it's True. not your, it's not, and it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's a cinema lovers film. You know, there's the cinematography is great. Um, the acting is good. And just the, the style of the movie, there's a lot of style there. Um, and I, I could see how people would say it's, pompous and indulgent and they thought it was bo- they could think it was boring and I, you mm. know I, I couldn't I can't really debate that because I could see how yeah you know you gotta, well, you gotta it's, stick it's, with it you, you yeah you you bring out from the film what you take into it I think in a way also I think if if you're not in the mood or geared <laughs> towards a film like this it's not going to work for you no. I think if you go in with a certain mindset and you are within a certain frame of mind during the film, it works for you. So it is a very subjective movie. It's, and that's why I even mentioned at the end of the review, the uh, film last night, having our discussion, this isn't a movie you can say, is it a good or a bad movie? I don't think, I, I don't think it labels itself that cleanly. Um, there was much of the film I loved, 
there was a lot of the film I liked. There was a little bit of the film I hated. I mean, it's just so <laughs> if somebody asked me what you hated. if it was somebody asked me good or bad, I'm like, well, no, it was good. But I have to qualify that. I mean, you have to go in with a certain frame of mind on this. Uh, my experience watching this film, the first 15 minutes or so are mm-hmm. very disjointed. They're very quick images, a lot of non, non-continuous scenes, and just you have a hard time trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And that was my problem, is I was spending too much time trying to figure out what's happening. Sure. And I realized about 10, 15 minutes in, okay, you know, just shut the brain off and up for a little bit as far as that part of the brain that wants to figure this out sure. and just let it seep in. Mm-hmm. And I think once I came to that point, it was about, actually for me, it was the whole universe creation 15, 20 minute sequence that really got me involved. Hmm. Actually, Interesting. I probably would have under, almost got into it quicker if that had been the first thing I saw. The whole first 10 minutes, I thought were a little overindulgent. I thought it was almost a little too arts artistic for the art's sake just uh-huh. to say that i'm being artistic i'm going to show a bunch of random shots and i'm going to cut a lot of things together and, and i'm going to make it exactly and, yeah. it almost was too much and but then once it actually settled into a flow after the uh, the whole universe creation sequence it, it, i to me it worked it worked extremely well um and just so i mean people listen to this and when they hear us say the universe creation scene let's let's <laughs> explain what that means because i sure. think people could be interpreting that many different ways right there is a good 15 minute portion of the film would you say that's a silent film that yeah. is basically um you're watching shots of what an interpretation would be of the universe being created correct from the cosmos Correct. Then you get down to an actual planetary Earth side surface and the creation of with lava and mountains sure. and the water and everything else. And then finally, you start to see organisms right. develop. Um, it was fascinating to watch. I actually, I mean, if you go into it just saying, I'm watching a very interesting piece of art mm-hmm. that is evolving before me, it's fascinating to watch. Douglas Trumbell was uh, one of the visual effects uh, uh, consultants on the film. Of course, from 2001, right. from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, that was I definitely saw his touch on that. It was oh. a very, you know, it, it, it was not over computerized. It was not over CGI. This was real seemed stuff. You were wa- seeing very natural yeah. effects you were watching. Um, and then once we got past that sequence, it really started a little more of a linear fashion with the kids and the family, mm-hmm. and understand what's going on. Uh, with them and learning the dynamics of this family and how it's speaking to much larger tones. So uh, the film really worked for me. I'm with you. I enjoy it more the more I reflect back on it. Mm-hmm. And there again, if I could have uh, let myself go a little bit more in that first 10, 15 minutes, and if we could have done away with the CGI dinosaur, yeah. I think uh, the film would have worked a lot more. There is a sequence in that that universe creation montage where we do see dinosaurs and yeah. they're CGI dinosaurs, which I never would have thought we would have seen a CGI dinosaur in a Terrence Malick film, right. but there we did it. We got it. Um, yeah. It was a little out of place. It was a little, didn't quite follow the rest of the flow for me. Um, that was my misgivings with the film. What, what about you? Any, anything that bothered you didn't work for you? Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, you're struggling to come up with an yeah, answer here. I, mean, I can the, tell the creation stuff. I mean, it, it worked, but I guess if I were to say what was self-indulgent or whatever, I thought that what, the, the use of that – and the longest part is the 20 minutes kind of towards the beginning. But they do have little flashes mm-hmm. throughout the movie, and there's like some at the end and stuff. And I, I felt like if it would have just been at the beginning, 
and then kind of not return to it and just kind of use that as a jumping off point, maybe it would have worked, but it was almost like that could have been its own separate little nature documentary mm-hmm. movie, but it is intertwined and stuff. I don't, yeah, I don't see, know. I, dis- I disagree with you on that because I feel like in a way, in somebody in our conversation, I think last night summed it up really well. It helps set the mindset that, you know what, I'm going to tell you a story about a family and it is one speck, one, one little microbe in this whole universe right. that they're dealing with, but they're a part of a much, much, much bigger fabric here. And I need to get that fabric idea across to you before I tell you any more about this family. That's, that's how I, that's how I, I took away from it. Um, I thought it was important. My thing is I would almost rather have seen that first. And then instead of the overly broken up, overly fragmented, opening that we got for the first 10, 15 minutes or so. Right. And then, yeah, I, I, I see the importance of it. I guess if it would have just been at the beginning, like you're saying, and then you follow the rest of the movie, yeah. even if the rest of the movie is nonlinear, that would have been fine for me. But I felt like maybe it was a little self-indulgent, okay. but I mean, All you right. know, I thought, I still thought it was really well done. I think there's definitely parts of the film that many people could pick apart as saying it could be self-indulgent. Sure. Um, you know, but let's talk more about some of the technicalities of the film, acting-wise. Uh, you know, you have Brad Pitt yep. and you have Sean Penn. We haven't even really mentioned the actors, which I think is kind of a credit to itself that this is not a film that depends on the actors as much as you might think. It's a lot more of the camera, the mood, the music, it's the visuals. It's a lot of style. Yeah. And so you, yeah, other things kind of fall to the back. But obviously the actors have an important role sure. here. Well, Brad Pitt. Um, you know, even though Brad Pitt and Sean Penn are both getting billing for this film, this is Brad Pitt's film, in my thinking. It, it's, or you're going to argue with me on that. You probably think it's the mother's film, don't uh, you? Yeah, I think it's more Jessica Chastain's. But, I mean, Brad Pitt, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I like him okay. And I think this is some of his better work. Yeah. You know? I, I liked him a lot in this. Yeah. I, thought he, I thought he pulled it off. He has to play the father at a couple, couple stages of life. We spend most of the time with him when the kids are young. Right. And then we see a little bit with him when the kids are older. Right. Um, uh, Sean Penn it plays the oldest son grown up, True. but his role is very minimal. Yeah. Actually, hardly any dialogue at all. Yeah, does he, I'm not sure I, if he speaks. I think he mumbles a lot. Okay. Well, I think there's a lot of mumbling anyway. on the telephone <laughs> or in a meeting, but sure. he really is just kind of stumbling through his role, which, you know, that, but it works. It's, right. it's a small role, but it's an important one. Um, he does agonized very well. Yes. Sean Penn <laughs> does agonizing and he gets agonized in this film quite a bit as well. So, uh, what about the style of it uh, from the camera I've, work and the visuals? Uh, I really liked the style of the movie and it's very, for those familiar with Terrence Malick's work, it's a very Terrence Malick film. You okay, know? Right. The style being nonlinear and the shots being very, very pretty, like using a lot of natural light and shot a lot outside. You know, he, he really likes doing that kind of stuff with like Days of Heaven and uh, Thin Red Line and The New World. You know, there's, he really likes doing that kind of stuff. And I will say that of his movies that I'm really familiar with, which would just be New World and Thin Red Line, I'm the most – I think this is his most accessible film. And as far as like the style he uses of going all over the place, like jump cutting and everything, I think that works the best with this film because for me it's all about memories. Mm-hmm. And yeah. your memories are very disjointed and sometimes they don't make any sense. And so for me, like his kind of depicting memories and dreams, it's like one of the best movies about that kind of subject matter for me and mm-hmm. like childhood and all that kind of stuff. So I really, really liked the style. I thought it worked well. I, I thought it was the most beautiful film I've ever seen. I mean, uh, I'm always amazed when 
you think about the number of shots in a film like this. I mean, this is a two hour and 20 minute film right. and it's, there are not long lingering shots anywhere in this film. They are short. They are, uh, haphazard at times. They are pieced together in ways that you wouldn't normally think to piece them together. But every single shot is a postcard. Every single mm-hmm. shot is an image that you could, you would want to have framed in your, in, on your wall. I mean, right. it's just, Every shot, and that just amazes me to think how much time, energy is put into a filmmaking process when you've got that much attention being paid to every single shot you make. And not only, yeah, I agree. And then the thing that kept hitting me, which I usually don't think about in movies, was I can't imagine the location scouting for this movie because mm-hmm. it takes place in so many different little areas. And like, you know, they have a, a scene at a pool and it's like this perfect pool and it's very cinematic. So everything is just, it's very cinematic. And yes. so, and, it, and all these different locations. And I kept thinking, Oh, this is so beautiful. How much time did it take for them to find the perfect factory for the dad to walk in and have it be this oh, certain yeah, way? The factory or, was you know, the pool looking. or, you know, just their house and their neighborhood or just the different places. I was just like, that's just, I, I can't imagine the time. <laughs> so it just impressed me. Well, and, and let me, let me mention the kids too, no uh, because we do have three kids in this film, primarily three mm-hmm. brothers. Uh, with Jack uh, being the oldest one, the one that eventually becomes uh, the champagne character, right. uh, played by Hunter McCracken, which I'm not familiar with anything else he's ever done as a child actor. But wow, he was he was intense. Yes. He, he knew how to play the role. He is a kid going through adolescence, going through a lot of anguish in his own head. Mm-hmm. Uh, typical adolescence. But then he's also got these polarizing parents that he has to kind of battle between who he feels like he connects more with or who he wants to be connecting more with. Right. You've got the father that's. Uh, in my mind, anyway, I see him as more of the uh, he, he's a member of the commercial world. He's the material world. He looks at strength. He looks at honor. He looks at, you know, regiment where you've got the mother who's very much nature and nurturing and caring. And you just see this kid torn between those two sides the whole way through the film. And it's just it's fascinating to watch. Right. Um, he doesn't have a horrible Home life, okay? It's not horrible. I mean, you know, people could argue that there are home lives much, much, much more traumatic than what right. he has. Right. But the fact that he is going through adolescence, going into his preteen years, and he is wrestling with these emotions, and he does have a father and mother that, that do argue, and a father that can be overbearing and, and oppressive, uh, you just see him wrestling with all that. And it makes you realize that, you know, kids... Kids have a lot going through their heads, and no matter how well uh, well grounded their families are, it's sure. it's a lot lot going on. And I think this film did a great job of reminding us that and showing us the inside workings of a mind of an adolescent kid uh, and what they're going through. So I, I I really thought he pulled it off. I thought his inner monologue was well done. I just saw his his facial expressions, which there are a lot of those he has to wrestle with. They hit him on the mark. I mean, they really yeah. worked. Yeah. Yeah, all the performances I thought were really believable. And, yeah, to have three kids that young. And, yeah, if anything, it's like, to me, it is the oldest kid. It's Jack, that kid's movie, and it's the mom's movie. I mean, Brad Pitt mm. was there, but, you know, he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have much of an arc or much, you know. It's- true, true. But I think I think there's a lot more to Brad Pitt's character than that we're left to, like, want to dig into. True. Um, I'm very curious. I'm left being curious about his background. His upbringing. Um, he is a hard man. He is a man that wants to teach his kids to fight and don't let anybody push you around. And you've got to go out and grab what you want in life. And he designs things, has patents. He mm-hmm. wants to fight for those patents in court. Uh, he is envious of people around him that have money. You know, 
But at the same time, he's a musician and he really enjoys classical music. He speaks about how he gave that up. Yeah. Yeah. But I also wonder how much of the classical music is. It's more of a, it's a more of a mechanical thing for him. It's more of a, I follow music a certain way and I practice music a certain way and my kids have to turn the pages in a certain manner. It's still a very mechanical process for him. And I I, I thought he was just a fascinating character. Sure. The mother I got, I understood her the whole way through. The father was the one I came out wondering, wow, I'd love to like character study this guy a little bit more Hmm. and find out what's going on in his head and where he came from and what may have caused him to get to this point in his life. Right. Anyway, um, you know, Terrence Malick in general, I, I'm not terribly familiar with a lot of his films. I mean, I've seen Badlands. I've seen Thin Red, Long, Thin, Thin Red Line. It's been a while for both of those. And sure. it, it, this has caused me to want to go back and revisit some of his films again, get a little more comfortable with them. Um, you, you were saying as far as what you saw with other films of his, you think this is probably the most accessible and to a degree. That, yeah, I guess you should say I was going to say that. Maybe let's put the quotes around that accessible. But, right. but the style, you said fit. As far as it being that dreamlike feel. Right. I mean, I think, you know, as long as you, which I think is why the 12-year-old boy last night couldn't really relate to it. He's still in his childhood, really. Right. So for him to be able to relate to this, he can't really. You need to be 20, 30, 40. You need to be older so that you can relate on flashing back to your childhood. And I think that's why this is his most accessible because, yeah, okay, not everybody went to Vietnam and could do Thin Red Line. So not everybody can relate to that. Um, the New World. Not everybody can relate to Pocahontas and John Smith. Like, you know, that kind of history. But yeah. childhood, everybody can kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of rings. Even though I didn't grow up in the 50s. But I can relate to, like... But you had a sibling. And, you, yeah. you knew and some you of can, that you can sibling side of things. And, and, grow, and finding yeah. out when you find out, oh, my dad's not perfect. And actually, right now, I kind of hate my dad because he's making me angry. Like, you know, and you yep. can relate to those things. And you can relate to being jealous of other siblings, which happens in the movie because... Yes. Uh, Jack's younger brother is artistic and mm-hmm. happens to be able to paint and can also play guitar. So therefore, the mother admires the kind of artistic touch and the father admires the fact that he can play guitar. And there, you can see that that makes Jack jealous and right. kind of angry. He doesn't really know how to feel about that. And so like those are things that everyone... They're universal themes exactly. that anybody could kept and can, can latch on to. Exactly. I'm with you on that. So. so I think, you know, I think this is his best movie and it's his most accessible movie... I think, but it also requires patience. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not mm-hmm. going to you know, give you everything on a platter, but I also don't, I really feel that it's not, I don't think it's arrogant or self-indulgent because I guess it works for me. And that's why I don't think that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but and then knowing his other films, it's like, you kind of know what you're getting into. And so I don't, I think it's just a typical Terrence Malick, which is a good thing. Sure. So. Well, uh, I will say this for anybody wanting to check it out. I really enjoyed the movie. It's a better movie on hindsight than maybe when you're trying to wrestle with it while you're watching it. It's one of those that the more you reflect on it and you think about it, I think you appreciate it more. I will say to anybody who hasn't seen it that does go out to see it, just go in and and don't spend time trying to figure out exactly what's happening. Right. I think if you do that, you're going to burn yourself (laughs) out pretty quick. Just go in and open your mind and let the experience kind of take over and then let your brain process it afterwards. There's still a lot of parts of the film I don't get. There's a lot of scenes I don't understand. There's a lot of images that don't Don't work for me. But that's kind of the cool thing now is I'm, I'm left to kind of think about it and wonder what might have been the, in the intent of those now. And that's a, that's a good thing. It keeps the brain active. We're, we're still processing it you know, the next morning. In a way, if someone – it's kind of strange to say this, but if somebody's seen the movie and didn't like it, 
it's one of the rare instances where I think like you really need to give it a second chance. Like if somebody usually doesn't like a movie, I'm like, oh, I understand that you didn't. But like if you didn't like this movie, watch it again and give it a second chance because I think now that you kind of know what's happening, you know you're not going to get certain developments that aren't going to, you'll actually appreciate it more because you'll be able to kind of relax and be like, oh, I didn't like it. And then you'll be able to appreciate it more, if that hmm. makes sense. So no, it's really, a, I think it's a second viewing movie. I mean, I haven't seen it a second time, but I can only imagine I'm going to like it more, you know? Well, I, I will say, just to kind of wrap up our conversation here, we had our, our screening last night. We had a very big crowd, which I was very proud yeah, of. I think great. just the... Uh, the artistic community really came out or people that want to help support an artistic endeavor came out to support this film. I saw hardly anybody leave. I thought, I think maybe two people live, leave about midway through. And that was about it. Uh, Whether or not everybody else was staying there out of peer pressure because they didn't want to be the first ones (laughs) to leave. Um, But I also love the fact that a lot of them afterwards had very divisive opinions. We Mm -hmm. had some people that just didn't get it. I mean, they had other people who were crying uh, emotionally uh, because of the impact the film had. So, it is going to be a divisive film, and I think that's 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 part of the good thing about some of these films is it won't you want to talk about it afterwards. I think the film would fail if you walked out there and said and kind of shrugged your shoulders and said, "eh, whatever," you know, and just kind of moved on. Then the film the film fails. And I've sat through a number of films where you just shrug your shoulders and move on. This is one you can't shrug your shoulders at, whether you hate it or love it. You've got something to think about with it afterwards. Yeah, it, it makes you think about it, whether mm-hmm. you hate it or lo- love it. It makes you think, and that's. Yeah. That's a sign of a great film. Sure. Absolutely. So the tree of life, uh, you know, it's out there, uh, playing in only select theaters. I, it has not gone wide. It probably will not go wide release. Um, and I'm sure it'll be on DVD probably in four to five months available as well. Could be an interesting rewatching experience on that as well. So great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do some news and our movie recommendations. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to the mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Okay, we're back with Foot Candle Films with Chris and Alan, and uh, we want to hit a couple of movie news items. This is uh, this is kind of a fun part of the show where we get to try to throw out some news items that maybe uh, I think maybe Chris is not aware of, and see if I can catch him off guard a little bit, see if I can get a reaction. <laughs> uh, some news that we th- I think may be of interest or something we want to talk about. So let's get into the first one. I think you may have a personal opinion on this one. Okay, uh, Stephen King. Okay, Stephen King is uh, working on a new book. Oh, okay. That has already been signed on to be adapted into a film pretty shortly after the book comes out. Wow. Jonathan Demme is going to be directing his next book huh. uh, as, a, as a film. And the book is called 11 November 22nd, 1963, JFK. Uh, it's about the Whoa. JFK assassination. Whoa. But it's a time travel story from what I understand. Supposedly okay. a teacher... A high school teacher is given the ability to go back in time and thwart the JFK assassination. So, interesting. Uh, it's supposed to be a very big book, very large book, as most of Stephen King's recent books right. have been. Uh, but I, I just huh. think the interesting thing from a film standpoint is that Jonathan Demme has already signed on to write, produce, and direct it. Yeah, that's with that. Interesting. Uh, with King serving as executive producer. So this book comes out. Um, gosh, I'm trying to look at the. I, I couldn't find it. Fall of. Uh, 
I think it comes out later this year, hmm. but they're going to start shooting next fall, 2012. Gotcha. So it's going to come out, Probably real, come out right around Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Christmas Probably game. so. So, um, I, so with this, I just want to toss it over to you about Stephen King films in general. I know yeah. you're, you're an avid reader. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine you've read, read your share of Stephen King novels over the years. Yeah. What's your take or what have been some of your favorite Stephen King adaptation films in recent history? Um, you know, Stand By Me, and that's not recent history, unfortunately. Sure. Um, Shawshank Redemption, that's not recent. You know, but those, those sure. are probably my two, my two favorite. Um, I don't think the – well, and then Shining way, way, way back. Right. Um, but, but can you really consider King, that? Stephen King disowns that. Well, much. I was going to say, I don't know if you can <laughs> consider that a true adaptation. It's more of an inspired by type of thing in a true. way. So, yeah. True. Right. Very yeah. true. Um, but awesome movie. A lot of times Stephen King's books do not translate well into movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't think Pet Cemetery was that great. Dream Catchers or something oh, like that. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. So I just – they just, for some reason don't translate. The miniseries stuff that they've done I think sometimes does. But still his stuff is so – far out there that a lot of times when you see it, when you read it on the page, it seems more understandable or whatever. But then when you see it, you're like, that's just stupid. When you see it visualized, it just comes across dumb. Well, and I think, I think King's work is much denser than what the movies were allowed to to get into. I mean, you're trying to, maybe that's why the miniseries approach works better because you have a little more flexibility, you have a little more time to dig into it, trying to cram it into a 90, 120 minute movie. I just don't think works all the time. True. To me, it worked better. I think Misery was a good film because oh, yeah. that was a very simple concept. It didn't take going in so deep and, to, to understand that. And you can appreciate that as a, as a shorter film. And I think some of his stuff, you know, he deals a lot with the supernatural and mm-hmm. stuff. And some of that portrayed in movies just looks stupid or silly. Right. But like Misery, that wasn't supernatural. It was just a really mean woman taking a guy hostage. So that works better as a film because it's more believable and it doesn't stretch the imagination that much. Mm-hmm. With the movie that you've mentioned, the book and the movie, you know, he, he does time periods really well. Like Stand By Me, you get that feeling of growing up in the 50s or whenever that was. I think he could probably pull off the JFK idea. You know, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's going to be... You say his whole point in going back is to try to stop the assassination? Yes. Huh. Yeah. I got you thinking now, don't I? So yeah. Interested. And he would be able to handle kind of like the Ray Bradbury thing. If you go back in time and stop that, what then happens Ramifications maybe. Right. Yeah. And he could, could be. Re- so it could be it could be really good. Still surprising, um, considering how you know even his later books I think are kind of hit and miss. How it got signed on for a film before it's even the books even released. Well, what I love, and I know so. this is an audio podcast, you can't see the cover of the book here, but <laughs> the cover of the book is Stephen King, the title of uh, with the date, and it's the front cover is the news article about JFK slain in Dallas. LBJ takes the oath. You flip it over to the backside. The backside is JFK escapes assassination. First lady also okay. And Americans breathe a sigh of relief. So basically we see maybe the ramifications of that happening. So a lot of it's probably dealing with what happens after. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Because to me, the interesting part would be the ramifications as opposed to, you know, all the action type movie stuff to to stop it happening. That wouldn't be really that interesting. Well, and Jonathan Demme, I'll say Silence of the Lambs, one of my absolute favorite films of all time. There hasn't been a whole lot he's done otherwise that I've been a huge fan of. What has he done? I mean, I know he's done. He did Philadelphia. Um, He's done some other movies recently that just, uh, I I just don't hear much about. Um, But Silence of the Lambs is still just a great cornerstone film for me. So I'm, I'm excited to -hmm. see what could happen with this. Um, I think when, when Stephen King uh, adaptations happen really well, 
they're good good films and if they're in the hands of good directors it's normally a good thing so i feel like we might have a good opportunity for a good film here all right, second news item. And then I'm tying off the Brad Pitt connection from Tree of Life. Okay. Uh, well, a film will be coming out later this year. It's called Moneyball. I don't know how familiar you are with that. I know you're not a, a huge sports is that, guy. Is that about baseball? It is about baseball. Ball. It's about a, it's a story. It's a real-life story. Billy Bean uh, with the Oakland A's. Uh, he came in to serve as manager of the Oakland A's, and he brought with him through a uh, connection he made with a younger kind of a statistician research guy, the idea of incorporating more statistics and more of a method to recruiting players and gotcha. building a team instead of just whoever's got the best uh, you know, home run average or anything like that. It's, it's a calculation. It's gotcha. creating a team off of more calculation. What I think is interesting with this is it, at one point Steven Soderbergh was assigned to this, and I thought that was going to be one of his films. Hmm. He's not associated with the – as far as I can tell, he may be an executive producer or something. Sure. I don't know. But it is Brad Pitt, Robin Wright, and uh, – Jonah Hill. So, uh, interesting film written by Aaron Sorkin. Okay. That's where my interest starts to jump up a little bit because I loved his work in The Social Network, right. his screenplay for that, that film. He is doing the uh, writing and screenplaying for this. Well, it's based off a book, but he's adapting it as a screenplay well, for the film. And like you say, I mean, I'm not a huge baseball fan, um, but if anybody can make that exciting to me, Aaron Sorkin can. Yeah. I mean, he made typing on a computer exciting for the social network. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that sounds interesting. All right, and real quick, uh, you kind of already alluded to this, but Brad Pitt as an actor. Uh, tell me what's been your favorite Brad Pitt performance outside of The Tree of Life? Probably Fight Club. Yeah. Um, but then again, I don't know how much of that is his performance and how much it's just kind of a fun movie for him to be in. So he's just kind of like mm-hmm. chewing up scenery. And so... But, I mean, that's a Brad Pitt movie that I liked. Yeah. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't know. That, I like him. You know. I, think he's a, I think he's a fairly one-note performance in that he, he still plays Brad Pitt most of the time. Uh, I don't see a whole lot outside of that. Tree of Life stepped a little outside of his normal comfort zone, which, I, which was why I think I liked his performance so much in it. Um, so 12 Monkeys, not a big fan of his performance oh, in that? Or? Um, wow, I need to go back and watch. I like the movie. Because um, that was one of the few times he really got to play just something different. You know? Right, right. So anyway. um, yeah, I have, I have to go back and check on it. I mean, yeah. not a bad performance. I like Brad Pitt as an actor. I do. Yeah. I think he's good, but he's, he's, he's like a Tom Cruise and some of these other characters to me. It's like if you put him in the right role with the right needs, he's perfect. You try to step him outside of that, and I just, just don't think the work. comfort's there. Yeah. All right, third and final news item on this. Um, this is more of a, a theoretical question about the films in general, but it does stem off of something in the recent news. Okay. So this whole rise of the Planet of the Apes is out right now and doing pretty well, getting some good reviews and all. But everybody's talking about the lead performance, which is basically the ape, which is a motion capture performance by Andy Serkis. Okay. Andy Serkis is you know known Gollum. as Gollum from the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah. He's done some other... He did uh, King Kong, too, didn't he? Uh, he did King Kong for Peter Jackson just right. a few years ago. Basically, you know, you, you, you strap him in with all these little microbes and dots and sensors on him, and he acts out the performances, but it translates into a CGI character. Should that be Oscar-worthy in the future? Where do you see – what are your personal thoughts? Do you think that's something that, uh, you know, that kind of performance ought to be recognized? Because there's actually been a little bit of rumbling mm-hmm. that, you know – the guy really knocks this out of the park, this performance, but yet really good at because he's not on screen and it's not his face, he wouldn't get a nomination for anything acting wise. You know, I, I don't know enough. I mean, I've, I haven't watched enough like behind the scenes making of on DVDs to see like, 
I guess if you saw footage of him like walking around in his underwear with all these dots attached to him, doing all this like crazy movements and stuff, then I would have more of an appreciation. I guess a lot of times I just assume like he's not putting that much work into it. But right. I guess maybe he, you know, I don't, I can't like, is it like he goes in and does a couple of moves and like that's it? Or does he literally have to act out? So you think it's maybe more scene. of a public knowledge about what's involved in a motion capture performance that would have to escalate it. Right. And I, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm guess, I guess I'm kind of like, well, you know, if he literally like, you know, minute for minute, he has to act out physically everything, then why not? If he's that much of yeah. a lead character, I mean, I guess he doesn't speak or maybe he does. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet, but um, a lot of times it seems like if somebody doesn't speak, it's going to be hard to give them an acting thing because people think acting is also having to give dialogue and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, but I don't, but then you would say, well, but see, okay. So like, you know, you wouldn't nominate Tim Allen for Toy Story three or Tom, but all they're doing is giving a voice, but they do a lot of character acting with I, the voice, but they don't have to do motion capture with the body. So I don't, I, I, I Because of the way films are moving digitally, I'm actually anticipating that at some point in the future, there are going to be categories for live action acting and voice or motion capture acting. Mm. That's kind of my gut feeling because I do think it's going to be it's tough to mix the two. But yeah. yet, I do think that some of this, these performances are going to need to be, be recognized. I mean, yeah. they are yeah. acting. Yeah. They are working just as hard as an actor on screen would. Actually, probably harder because they're having to react to something that they're not physically seeing at the moment. You know, they're actually having right. to be told there's something beside of you and there's this happening and this is happening. You've got to react to it. And if they can pull off a really good performance doing that and get us to forget that there's a human being actually controlling that CGI character, I think that's an outstanding performance. And I, I think it ought to be recognized. So hmm. I'd be curious to see where they go with that. But I just I was kind of curious. I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. Yeah. yeah. OK, so news items. I'm done. I, I got a lot more news I could rattle through. But we said we'd do three. So I'm going to stop at three. And we're going to get on to our film recommendations. This is where we'd like to each of us give a film that can be an old, new film, can be anything goes, but something that we just feel like uh, people ought to check out or could have some interest in. And uh, Chris, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I, I don't care. Um, I'll go first. All right. Go ahead and fire it away. So, you know, our movie this week was Tree of Life, you know, this dense, complex movie. Um, Are you going to recommend another film about inanimate objects coming alive and killing people? No. Okay. I'm going to go back to a much simpler time. Okay, good. 1983, and it will be National Lampoon's Vacation. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's Vacation. See the real America. Hey, underpants. Hey, yellow. It's friendly. Okay, I'm okay. (laughs) Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? It's educational. And most of all, it's fun. The dog went on the picnic basket. Wow. Really? Yeah, yes. You really have gone... Are you so, trying to tie the whole family dynamics you know, thing in the Tree of Life a little summer, bit? Well, or? you know, it could be. It's yeah. summertime, and uh, comedies come out every summer. You know, this we had Hangover 2 and Bridesmaids and things like that. But I just... I was thinking I'd actually what it was was I'd heard a clip of the song Holiday Rolls. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. I hadn't thought of vacation in so long. And I started thinking about it. And that movie for me for so long in my childhood, even though at the time when it came out, I wasn't old enough to see it. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it just really epitomized like summer and fun. 
and it was back when I thought Chevy Chase was really funny. And um, he was really funny. So he yeah, was really yeah, funny. Yeah. And it was, it was written by John Hughes, who did yep. like 16 mm-hmm. Can- You know, just it had a lot of really good elements to it. And I, you know, I don't hear people, they talk about, it seems to me, they talk about Animal House. They talk about Caddyshack. And it's just like, I don't feel like the original Vacation gets enough love. Wow. So I think people okay. should go back and check it out and just, you know, see how funny it is. It still is. Don't eat so. the family truckster, Russ. So. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I have way too many quotes from that yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. I like they, off, so. you know, it gets quoted, but I just, I don't know. I, I guess I'd forgotten about it, and I revisited it, so I think people should revisit that one. So hopefully hey, people cool. out there listening to this have seen it. If you haven't, you definitely need to see it. Yeah. So. Okay, well, I've got a film for you. Let me just kind of give you some of the facts about this film before I jump too deep into it. Okay. Um, it's, it's from India. Okay. So it is part of the Bollywood movement, you could say, to some degree. Okay. A true Bollywood thing, not like Slumdog Millionaire. Right. No, it was actually made there, produced gotcha. there, everything, not just on location in India. Gotcha. Um, it's three hours long. Wow. So actually, last night, Chris, me coming home from Tree of Life... I had to finish watching this film because I've had to watch it in three stages because it is so long. long. Uh, I'm watching them in hour increments, basically. Wow. The film's name is Krish. K-R-R-I-S-H. I think I've I've heard of this. You've heard of this. Okay. I've seen scenes from it. All right. It is a Indian superhero film that incorporates breakout song and dance numbers. Awesome. A very deep romance story. It takes place in India and it takes place in Singapore. Okay. Very sprawling. A lot of visual effects. Actually, for a production that you would consider out of India, it's a lot more special effects than than I anticipated or thought would be possible. Huh. It is, and it is one of the highest grossing films in India Hmm. based on that. It is a sequel, which I've never seen the original, sequel to an original film uh, about a man who develops special powers and uh, mental abilities. That film came out, I don't know the year on that, but this is a 2006 film where we follow his son who basically starts to develop the same path. Okay. Um, I loved it, hmm. even though it's extremely campy. It is <laughs> extremely cheesy. Uh, I see a lot of people rolling their eyes probably as they watch it. How does that hold up for three hours? Um, cheesy. In break, seems like that it broken be... up in parts, it does okay. okay. I don't know if I could sit down in all one setting. But it is a good mixture of humor. Like I said, the song and dance numbers where as soon as, you know, as, as soon as they go to a circus, I'm like, okay, yeah, a song and dance number is going to break out right now. You just happen. know this is going to happen. Sure. They're having a nice romantic walk down the, down the pier. Okay, yes, song and dance are going to break out. Sure enough, they do. It's just these things happen, and, and it's fun. It's fine. It is a superhero film. The guy's got uh, superpowers. He can, like, run up trees, and he can, like, scale up mountains, and it's just – it's a fun film. Hmm. Uh, you know, I can see a lot of American audiences finding it very cliche and finding it very, uh, because we're just, I think we're just inundated with these action films and all that. 
But if you can kind of set that apart and just, you know, enjoy it for what it is, it is a very fun film. Hmm. My kids have actually got to watch it with me because, oh, you know, yeah? it is, there's nothing provocative so not about like it. No, no, thing. not at all. It's actually probably just PG. Huh. Um, very simple film, very good natured film. It was just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of hammy performances in it, a lot of winking and smiling at the camera and all that. But it was it was a fun movie. I just, I encourage you, it's on Netflix, not on streaming. You got to get it on the DVD. But um, it's worth checking out if you want to see something a little different, uh, see something from another culture where they're making their mainstream films and, and what they've pulled from American audiences and what we're pulling from them. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Hmm. So anyway, so we've got National Lampoon's Vacation and we've got Chris <laughs> as our, our recommendations. And uh, we covered our news. And, of course, The Tree of Life is out in some theaters right now that people can check out. So I think we're done. I think we've knocked out another successful episode here. Uh, just as a reminder to everybody with this that you know, you're listening to The Mesh.TV, The Mesh Network. This is our network of shows and podcasts, which we're very happy to be on as Foot Candle Films. Uh, so you can always check out all of the new episodes at TheMesh.TV. You can learn more about the film society that we host at www.footcandle.org for the Foot Candle Film Society. Find out what films are screening in the area and then what we're going to be reviewing in future podcasts as well. And if anybody has any questions, ideas, thoughts, or suggestions for us on future film recommendations, feel free to send them in to us as well. They can send them in to info at footcandle.org. We'll get them and respond to them and just appreciate all the feedback that we get. So for Foot Candle Films, I'm Alan Jackson signing off. Chris Fry signing off. All right, great. Thanks, uh, and we'll see you next month. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.